Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Full Bloom Podcast. We are your hosts, Emma and Taylor. And Taylor. And we have another wonderfully juicy episode in store for you. Yeah, today we're interviewing a wonderful Australian writer, Chris Neen. I was honestly just in a bookshop here in Sydney one day and their books just jumped out at me by the title, which is the title of this episode, Fat Girl Dancing. And I read it in like maybe a week. And then I just decided I had to reach out to this person because so much of what was in the book just really touched me. So now we get to talk to Chris. And without further ado, here it is. Welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast, where all of you is welcome. With our pod, we strive to nurture the bloom as the process of becoming the fullest version of yourself, cracking open and confronting the various systems and structures that limit our expansion along the way. Nothing is off the table. So bring your cringe, bring your giggles, bring your shadow and your intensity. It's all welcome here. We see you. And you're doing great. Let's get into it. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Full Bloom Podcast. We are here with a wonderful, wonderful guest who we'd love to let introduce themselves. Chris, if that sounds okay for you. Yeah. Um, my name is Chris Neen and I am a writer and I have 10 books out now, but the latest one is Fat Girl Dancing, which just came out in May. Um, and I've just been touring that around, um, talking about bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I just had to reach out to Chris after finding their book in a bookshop here in Sydney. And yeah, the title just totally stuck out to me. Um, and I read it in like, I don't know, like a week so quickly. And I was talking to my partner about it every night before bed. And I was like, I need to reach out to this person. I'm going to reach out to this person. <laughs> so and here we are. Yeah, here we are. It's it's yeah. so wonderful to have you. Um, so we'll start off as we do with our cycle check-in. Emma, do you want to kick us off? Yes, I will take us away. So I'm currently on like day three or four I just feel like we never are recording when I'm actually like on my period so this is different for me <laughs> oh yeah you're bleeding right um, now yeah but I'm I'm feeling good I'm just feeling like comfortable and soft and pretty like rooted in my body it was like a very intense bleed at first it like woke me up at night and I was like tossing and turning and just like being dramatic and then <laughs> tried to not take painkillers but then was like fuck this just take the painkillers and anyway it helped and I went back to sleep but yeah just like cosplaying being in labor and then being like what am I doing this is weird (laughs) cosplay (laughs) resistance to take the painkillers for some reason you're like no I don't need these I know what this is natural remedies then at some point you're just like fuck it no way (laughs) I was like I need to sleep like let's let's focus on that yeah so I'm on day like I don't know 10 ish I stopped bleeding a couple days ago at the beginning of the week so I'm yeah like just coming into that like rush of energy after the bleed well I'm not just coming into it I'm very much into it I've been running every day this week and I've just been like super horny and like just all of those things that come right before ovulation so yeah just feeling very inner spring and energized by that what's up with you Chris do you have I don't have a cycle anymore so I am very excited not to have had any of that since 2018 
So, um, so that's the the one good thing about menopause is you don't have to deal with um, you know, all that kind of when are you going to bleed and when are you not. So that's um, it's actually yeah. the one positive about menopause, I think. So um, yeah, so it's it's all pretty okay. Although I am on testosterone, so um, that has changed everything for me. And I do, I'm a little bit of an evangelist at the moment, but I'm sure I'll settle. <laughs> Stop telling everyone <laughs> you should try this stuff. It's so good. <laughs> I feel like a drug pusher at the moment. I'm kind of like, <laughs> it's really great. <laughs> you should go on it. <laughs> I love that. How do you feel it's shown up most in your body? Like, has it changed the way your energy levels fluctuate throughout the day? Or what have you noticed? No, no, it's, um, it's helped with um, depression. So um, my I've sort of suffered from depression all my life, but in menopause, it got really bad. And just kind of that feeling of just um, bottoming out every day. Um, and definitely the testosterone has made me be able to, I still feel the depression, but I don't sort of bottom out completely and I feel like I can push through. So that's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's had other bodily changes as well, including um, my voice is a little bit kind of wavery in the, as my vocal cords get a bit longer. So um, it's kind of made me um, aware of controlling my voice a bit more because um, it was cracking. Um, and also um, just that I'm, I'm a little bit of a hairy bear now, which um, is kind of fun. <laughs> I've got a nice hairy belly. <laughs> um, Amazing. I do have to, I do have like scraggly hair on my chin and and I, I try to um, you know, deal with that because it's not very, you know, it's not very even. <laughs> <laughs> bit of shaving right. <laughs> yeah but no it's, it's all good the the depre- the dealing with the depression is enough to for me to love the stuff really yeah that's incredible I I, I had no idea that that um could have that effect yeah um, I'd heard it from other people who'd been taking testosterone actually which is why it's the reason that I went on it because I didn't feel like I absolutely needed to go on it for gender stuff because I'm I feel like I am who I am and it doesn't really matter but my hormones have changed so much since menopause anyway that you know mm-hmm. it's all a free-for-all now it's just a carnival <laughs> like let's see let's just mix it all up and see what happens and see what works because what was yeah. what was happening naturally was not working so um, I thought let's just take the unnatural stuff so I'm taking all of the unnatural hormones now and yeah. trying to find the balance but so far so good. It is so interesting, the the different ways that menopause shows up in different bodies and the lack of education there is. And like, no one tells you to prepare for this stuff. And I know you talk about that a bit in your book, which we'll definitely get into. But yeah, it just um, reminds me of when we were talking about menopause previously on the pod- podcast and all of the stuff that Emma's mother went through, that she was getting all these misdiagnoses and all these different things because doctors just don't know how to look for menopause or how it's going to show up. Yeah. It's amazing how much impact hormones has on you emotionally, mentally, physically, all of that. Even like not, I didn't know that um, that swollen joints can be a part of menopause as well. Like that's something that I had no idea. No one told me that that was um, a part of menopause. And I've now known quite a few people who have had that as a side effect and, and sort of arthritis stuff as a side effect side effects so lots of things I didn't know well I'd love to get into talking about fat girl dancing like right off the bat I haven't read it yet I really plan to Taylor has and she's told me such incredible things about it but <laughs> can you just give us a little bit of information on what was the call to start writing that book or what that journey looked like yeah, I'd been um I'd had a folder in my um writing section of my computer um which was called the fat book and that has been there for years and years and years and every so often I'll I'll write something and put it in there thinking one day I'll write that book about what it is to be fat in the world because um it's such it's such an all-consuming thing, the amount of space that you take up in the world and the amount of space your body takes up in the world and how 
people respond to that, like particularly um, how other people respond to it and also how um, you're treated in the medical profession. Um, it, it's a very different experience of the world moving through it as a fat person to moving through it not as a fat person. So I really wanted to write about that. But every time I approached it, it triggered so many um, emotions for me that um, I just backed away. For years, I would just kind of write something and then go, I'm not ready for this. It's just too much. I, I feel like I can't. Um, if I felt like I couldn't come out as a fat person, I suppose, um, mm. even though it's obvious to look at someone and kind of make those assessments. I couldn't personally put myself out there. Um, I felt like I was going to get all the trolls that I was seeing other people get when um, they kind of talk about fatness, um, and I didn't feel like I was emotionally ready for any of that. Um, but in 2020, um, I decided I I was ready because I'd written a memoir um, a couple of years before, which was about finding my grandmother and her people in Slovenia, and in that book, I'd written about travelling and because of my size, that impacts travel and it impacts what you can do overseas and how you can access things as well. So I'd written about that sort of stuff in the book and those sections really stood out for me as being a little bit different to the rest of the book and something that needed their own space. So I felt like I needed to start writing about fatness because it was already beginning to infiltrate my writing about other things and I needed to put some time into it. So um, I I went for a grant to do the writing and I, I got the grant um, and what I said in the grant was that I was going to write a nonfiction book about fatness, about being a fat menopausal woman. And those were the three kind of criteria that I had in the grant. But, of course, when I started to write this book, I started to define my terms. And when I came to the term woman, I I tripped myself up because I, I started to research what it is to be a woman and I started to kind of go, well, I'm not 100% sure I believe in the binary. Like, well, I know that I don't after reading and after thinking, I know I don't really believe that there's that kind of a binary in terms of gender. And also if there was that kind of a binary, I certainly don't fit into the box that is marked woman. And I, there's all these ways that I felt like I didn't fit into that box. And so it really, I had, I had inklings of that before, but I hadn't even sat down to explore it because I think due to menopause, I was too exhausted all the time to even kind of think about gender as a concept. And it seemed like such, you know, um, I just felt too tired to have the conversation. Um, and so ha having to write this book forced me to um, have that conversation with myself. Um, but as I was writing the book, I was searching through those issues of gender along the way. Um, and I was definitely looking at fatness and definitely looking at menopause. So I continued down that path and it was a difficult road um, and the first draft of the book was terrible uh, and I had all this kind of very research-heavy, um, you know, non-fiction-y kind of bits in the book which felt really clunky. I also had interviewed a whole bunch of people about fatness and I felt like I was colonising those voices by writing them down, even though I was using quotes. I felt like I was interpreting their words through the book. So I really kind of backtracked when I'd finished that first draft and realised I had to write something a lot more personal, that it had to be very, very focused on my own body and that it had to be um, very honest about exactly where I was, exactly how I felt about it and, um, you know, that way I could maybe uh, talk to other people who felt similarly about their own bodies. So um, it was a it was a big journey. Um, there was lots of drafts. There was lots of tears. Um, and I got to the other end and felt like I had finally put down in words how I felt about living in this body. Although, of course, it's changed since the ending of the book. I was still using mm -hmm. pronouns when I wrote the book. There was a conversation during publication as to whether I should still call it Fat Girl Dancing because I no longer identified as a woman. 
and um, we decided to keep it because um, I certainly did identify as a girl for a lot of my life. Um, and even though identifying as a woman was questionable, um, I did used to be a girl. So we kept that in. And um, yeah, it's it's now off on its own little journey by itself in readers' hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like it's once you release it, it's its own sort of living creature off in the world. Hey. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think part of that journey is just how much is touched upon and kind of fleshed out in the book. Is this going to resonate so differently for so many different people? Certain parts are going to stick out. And I, that's what I love about books, right? Is you can create this thing and you have this intention behind it as the writer, but the second it's released, you have no idea how it's going to be received. Um, so I know that you're, you're touring the book at this moment. What has... What has a bit of the response been like? Like, what have you found have been the biggest takeaways or things that are resonating with folks? Or, yeah, just I feel like writing about fatness is something, like you said, like it's so emotional and it's so subjective and personal and so nuanced that each person's experience is going to be different, especially to layer in gender and menopause and being in a white fat body versus other bodies. So, yeah, what has it yeah. been like? It's look, it's been really amazing actually. Um the first launch I was terrified and I really kind of I really wish that I didn't have to um physically stand in front of this book because the book is all about physicality. So I thought, you know, maybe I can just like hide and throw it out in the world and it can be my body for me in the world. But after that first launch was over, um I a lot of people came up to me afterwards and a lot of people um, living in fat bodies came up to me afterwards and kind of went, this really um, speaks to my experience of the world. And um, there have been writers as well. There was um, one writer who I absolutely admired, um, who, Christos Chalkas, who who read it in a, um, its initial draft, well, in the initial finished draft, and um, he kind of contacted me and said, look, this is a book I wish I had written and I wasn't brave enough to write it because I'm in a fat queer body and I have never addressed that. Um, But it's certainly on my mind the whole time. So I feel like people were like me, just like not addressing it and trying to kind of almost hide the issue of fatness, even though it's so obvious. So it felt to me like a coming out um, and it certainly felt to me like it was beginning to connect with uh, well, firstly, other fat people connect with it very, very um, intensely um, and feel, you know, there have been a few tears of people kind of coming up to me afterwards and and um, talking about their own experiences in the world. But also people who are not in fat bodies have come up to me and said, look, I'm not in a fat body, but I have felt fat over the years, even though I know that I'm not fat. And so this is actually, you know, this has impacted me as well or they feel that they hate some part of their body that, um, you know, that is an unreasonable hatred of a particular part of their body that um, has really held them back in life. So I think everyone's got a complicated relationship with their own body. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like there's there's something in it that's connecting with a whole lot of people um, who you know, are just wrestling with that um, relationship that they have in their physicality. So it's been really good and it's been good for me to go there. I've said it, it's out there. So I no longer have to hide um, about being fat. I don't have to hide that. I feel like I'm a bit more practiced about talking about it now. So I can demand things that I used to feel embarrassed about, too embarrassed to ask for. So like asking for belt extenders on the aeroplane. Now I just do it as soon as I as soon as I walk up those stairs, I say to the um the attendant, I'm gonna need a belt extender. And they're like, cool. And I'm like, I used to, you know, hide it and try and try and fit it together. And if not, just like sit there without my seatbelt done up with my, you know, jumper over my lap, hoping we don't have a crash. But you know, it's like I would rather die in a crash than ask for a belt extender. <laughs> you know, nowadays, after putting this book out, I'm much more um, confident about kind of going, 
okay, I'm fat, I can't fit into that aisle in the shop and I need something at the back. Can somebody get that for me because I cannot get through? You know, that those things. Mm. Um, and I'm a bit more, well, the, the health stuff is still an issue because it's still um, the equipment that doctors use is not made for my body and so it still doesn't kind of fit. So I'm still struggling with what to do. I've um, become a blood donor in the last few weeks for the first time and um, getting my. they need to get my blood pressure to be able to take a donation and I've just been up front with them and gone, because of my fatness, you will not be able to get my blood pressure using that electronic device. And so they've gone back to old school, you know, holding a, um, a stethoscope to your um, vein as they pump up. Um, the thing you know manually and that works that's fine but all the modern devices don't work to get your blood pressure so it's it's just been a, a bit I'm just a bit more demanding um, based on my knowledge of who I am and being open about who I am I can I'd, I'm stopping that shame really I'm stopping myself from being from being ashamed and I'm trying to ask for what I need um and yeah, I'm trying to fight for other people who are also in a similar position. Oh, yeah. I feel like you're really speaking to the fact that it takes, I think it takes like a lifetime to learn how to ask for what we need and to speak up for ourselves. I know that I'm still learning and will continue to st still be learning. Um, but yeah, just wow. What a, what a reclamation of a word the word fat has so much stigma and just energy around it that we've all been brought up in such a fat phobic world word world <laughs> to reclaim that word um yeah that's you mentioned the word brave earlier that is so brave that is you know extremely challenging yet sounds like a really rewarding experience when you're on the other side of that and you have been able to you know maybe change the narrative or change just reframe what this word means in your life and yeah I'm just I just I don't have a question I just think it's incredible <laughs> it's been really interesting and since since the books come out there have been so many um essays that I've been reading about um research into you know our assumptions about weight as well that um that I certainly would have used if they'd been out before the book came out. But just really recently, they've started to um, decouple uh, weight and um, some health issues. So, you know, constantly when they say, if you are obese, you're going to be at a higher risk of all these things. Well, now they're decoupling weight from that because they realize that it's actually not necessarily about your weight that's the problem. Sometimes it's about um, your relationship to exercise, um, which has got nothing to do with your weight. And if you exercise more, regardless of your weight, you would actually be in less of a risk factor for that. You know, and the the idea of um, diet and not as in diet culture, but as in what you eat, you know, that um, the fact that even if you are fat, but if you're eating incredibly healthy food, um, you're not going to be at a risk factor for all these things that they say weight impacts. So they're beginning to actually start to look um, to research um, without um, marrying diet, exercise and weight into the one kind of, you know, triangle of um, sadness, I suppose. <laughs> um, and as soon as they start looking at it separately, they realise that weight is actually not the issue for most of these, um, you know, disease factors, we still haven't caught up in terms of our narrative um, to to the cutting edge research on this stuff as well. Mm -hmm. In your book, you use the phrase um, "health at any size," and that really stuck out to me just in reading about the experience of navigating the healthcare system in a fat body um, and your. Um, kind of discussion about your experience with uh, gender inclusive healthcare practitioners and the relationship between gender inclusivity 
and differently shaped bodies and the safety that is there, which stuck out to me from my work in advocacy for trans folks trying to access healthcare um, and all of the different ways that healthcare can be so damaging when these assumptions are made. Look, it's really interesting that there's such an overlap um, in my experience of safe spaces for fat people and safe spaces for queer people, um, that there's such an overlap. And I think that it is because, um, you know, if you're queer, uh, you have had a lifetime of experience of not fitting into the mainstream because of um, something that has bodily let you down. So because of your, um, you know, your bodily desires, your sexuality has, um, you know, changed your relationship to others and has othered you from them. And I think that that there is a similarity in that to people who live in fat bodies who are othered from the mainstream because their body is doing something that is um, out of bounds from the mainstream. So there's a, there's a real intersection between queer culture and um, the fat community. And it's really interesting to see too, when I go to um, queer events, like um, the one that I describe in the book, um, the Queer Stories event that we have here, which is a wonderful, wonderful event. But um, every single time I turn up to Queer Stories in the audience, I just see people of all shapes, all sizes, you know, all flavours. And it's like, ah, I actually feel like I'm not different in this space. You know, I feel like I fit in because it's people from all different body types that are here. Um, and there's also, you know, there's something to do with, like, I think the trans experience will really relate um, in a way to the experience that fat people have in the world because it's their their actual physical bodies are read wrongly. You know, as soon as they step into a doctor's surgery, their bodies begin to be um, read in the wrong way often, you know, particularly um if, you know, they're early in transition, um, you know, they're read as a, the wrong gender, um, they're kind of treated in a way that is not appropriate for their gender. Um, and it's the same with fat people. We step into doctor surgeries and, you know, you might, I was, re I was reading an article the other day about um, a woman who went to the doctor because she had pains in her chest and her doctor um, immediately assumed it was her weight and so started to put her on diets. Um, it was years of um, dieting and dealing with weight issues when actually she'd had cancer of the lung and that hadn't been picked up. Um, and years later she had to have a whole lung removed um, and that was because when she went in there, they didn't actually look further than her weight. They went, well, it's obviously your weight is the issue here. And they didn't find the cancer um, until it was too late and they had to remove a lung. And I just kind of think these are the intersections that we have with the queer community where our bodies and desires are read in the wrong way right up front and therefore we're treated differently. Um, to other people, you know, we're treated with suspicion. Uh, and I think that that is a common experience. And that's, I think that's why I have a, a trans specialist doctor uh, who I was attracted to going to um, before I kind of decided to identify as non-binary. Um, and I suppose they're possibly could have been a little bit of a, um, a light bulb moment in that if I had, um, you know, gone, gone looking for it. Um, every time I've been to see a doctor who is either trans themselves or a trans specialist, I suddenly feel um, like I'm in the right space. Uh, and I probably should have realised that that was um, about um, gender, but I did not because sometimes we don't listen to ourselves no matter what's happening. We don't just trust that um, what we're doing is for a, for a really good reason. And so I really, um, it's it's so interesting to kind of look back on a lifetime and kind of go, ah, oh, I could have done this ages ago. <laughs> you know, this would have made my life a little bit easier along the way. But, um, you know, I'm here now, 55. Okay, I've got a few years left to kind of um, to enjoy this new space. I 
I find that so interesting what you were just explaining about um, being treated with suspicion by so-called care providers. Um, and just what I find interesting is that intersection with um, you feeling like you're unable to trust your own kind of inner knowing when you felt safer with trans doctors or trans specialist. Um, and I just wonder if you have words to kind of speak on that self-trust that you have been building your whole life and are currently really seeming to be in close relationship with. Well, it's it's because of the way we look and also because there's all this kind of um, cultural baggage that people think that people in fat bodies are um, lazy, um, uh, gluttonous. Right, um, out of control. Yeah, out of control. So it, that we are a problem to be fixed. In fact, it's an epidemic. We are the, you know, we are the enemy. We are the thing to be fought against, um, which is really, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about people in fat bodies cannot exist in those fat bodies. They have to become something other to be a respectable citizen. And so even if that doctor is not intentionally distrusting you or um, there's this, there's all this kind of um, this subliminal kind of messaging that everyone gets all the time about fatness that is going to colour their um, relationship to um, their fat patients. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a thing that it's really hard to address because not everyone's aware that they are um, making these assumptions about people. Um, but, you know, we know from um, there has been, you know, there has been research into, you know, the, the inability of people in fat bodies to get jobs or to be um, uh, to get promotions or to get raises or um, you know I talk about it in the book. There's a psychiatrist in the book that um, I was reading his um, book and he talks about his interactions with a fat patient that came to him for treatment and that he realised that he felt um, disgusted by this person and then he was analysing his own feelings and realised that he, his own mother was fat and so he had this disgust of his own mother who he had a bad relationship with and therefore he hated fat women and had this kind of underlying, you know, hum of hatred towards fat women and the whole essay was about him trying to come to terms with this and and feeling like he'd made a breakthrough because after the woman had lost some weight after treatment, um, he could actually touch her and kind of give her a hug, which would have made him want to throw up at the beginning of his um, treatment of her. And, you know, these kind of, I mean, yes, he was being honest about his own kind of um, biases, but, you know, you've got to wonder why people um, have these biases in the first place. And it's because we're culturally conditioned towards them. We're culturally conditioned to think that fatness is something to be treated and to be changed when it is not always um, the physical issue that we um, attribute it. All of the stigmas that we kind of have against fatness are not necessarily things that are true for that person who is fat. You know, some people, of course, do have um, eating disorder issues and that might be um, attributing to their fatness and sometimes that's emotional. Um, other people might just have, you know, simple biological imbalances in their body which causes them to be fat. So it's not, you know, it's one, it's not a one-size-fit-all fits all kind of reason behind fatness but we certainly see it in that same way where we kind of have a lens of thinking that that person is um you know lazy and um not to be not to be trusted with their own bodies fixed in way, need to be fixed so you know my whole life of of dealing with being treated like this has been a bit has been really difficult because I've always had a level of confidence in myself and in my work that means that if I'm not addressing my body head on, I have a confidence in myself. Um, so I've always um, had a, a sense that as a writer, I know when my writing is good and I know when it's bad and when it's bad, I don't put it out there. I work towards fixing it. Um, I've always felt I had a certain confidence with the quality of my work. Um, 
And I think you need that long term to be a writer. And so I've I've been in control of all of that. But as soon as my body comes into the picture, all that confidence falls away. And I think um, being able to write about it and use the thing that I'm very confident in my own powers about, which is my writing, has actually helped me to feel a new confidence in my body. I'm I'm still not, you know, happy in this body because it doesn't do some things that I would like to do. It doesn't, um, it's not as good at doing some things because of my size. So, you know, like if I'm walking a track, it's like I'm walking it with a giant pack on my back because, um, you know, other people will walk it and they won't be encumbered by the weight that I have. And if, you know, uh, like certainly I'm not, I'm not one of those fantastic flexible people like Lizzo perhaps who's just so fit that <laughs> she can dance for, you know, ever and um, do, you know, splits and pirouettes and whatever she can do. Um, I can't do that stuff. I'm not flexible like that. So my body being fat doesn't allow me to move around itself as easily as other people. Even trying to do a yoga pose is an awkward, strange experience in a body my size. Um, so, you know, it's it's still not a easy relationship that I have with my body, but certainly in terms of how I feel about myself, my writing about it has helped the way I feel about it. Yeah. So much you just said resonated. Going back just a little bit to healthcare and the impact that doctors have, um, I I just kind of thought about, like, I remember being young, maybe like 12 or 13, something was wrong in my body and I didn't know what it was, but there was a lot of symptoms that were happening. It turned out to be like food allergies and digestion-based issues related to what I was eating and things that I wasn't, I shouldn't have been eating for my body. But I remember because I was like around the time of puberty, my doctor told me that it was just, I was just chubby because would get really bloated and have a lot of tummy issues. And he was like, oh, no, it's just like, you're just chubby. It's fine. That doctor calling me chubby when I was what, a 13-year-old girl, I held on to that until my 20s. Like forever, yeah. no matter how much physical exercise I did, no matter how I ate, it didn't matter because I always heard that. And it's just so wild that, yeah, whatever your doctor says is kind of held up as rule or as Bible and you don't do any further investigation and you're just like, oh, it's something wrong with me. I'm the problem. And also that um, those those very first um, thoughts about your body, you hold on to them for your whole life. Uh, I, I know I was talking to um, a friend um, who's a gay man who's very thin and uh, he had read my book and he was like, because I'm a fat person and I kind of was like, I did a double take, but I kind of remember him telling me that he had been a fat kid and that he had um, exercised and dieted. And I know that he has a very bad relationship with food even now and like exercises so much. Um, And it's all to kind of outrun um, that chubby kid that he was, you know, and he still sees himself. And even when he talks about himself, he talks about himself as being a fat person, even though he's incredibly thin because of his eating disorders that he still kind of is in the middle of. So it's really interesting how we have these kind of images of self that no matter what you do to your body, that will still kind of be there in your life for your whole life to struggle with. Absolutely. Definitely. I want to ask you about your burlesque experience. Taylor has a lot of experience with burlesque. I've taken a couple classes and I I witnessed the world a lot through social media and going to shows. Um, But I see that world as a place where there is such a spectrum and acceptance of different bodies, different presentations, different everything. Um... And yeah, I'm just curious about how stepping into burlesque has maybe felt supportive for you and, and, you know, maybe how it has shaped your current views on your sexuality or just like sexiness in general. And 
Yeah, yeah burlesque has been um, fantastic. Uh, I When I started to do burlesque, it was because I wanted to interview someone. Uh, I knew that there were some people who were in fat bodies who were doing burlesque, and I wanted to talk to them about how it was to be um, doing this very revealing dancing and um, also be in a fat body. But um, as I was kind of preparing to do all that, I suddenly realised I needed to kind of experience it physically because I do need to experience things to write about them. And so I signed up for a class and then instantly regretted um, signing up because <laughs> to have to do it then. <laughs> it was very challenging. But, you know, it, on one level it was really challenging, but on another level I really should have um, I should have known that I was going to um, really enjoy it because when I was a kid I used to, um, you know, really relate to, um, well, Marilyn Monroe um, in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, um, that the singer Divine, um, when Divine, um, you know, a fat body on stage in sequence, and I kind of went, oh, that's me, you know, and I weirdly, you know, now I kind of unpack it as that was a very strange person to relate to because Divine was a female impersonator, you know, doing drag, and here I absolutely saw myself on screen for the first time. Um, following that, uh, Dr. Frankenfurter from, um, you know, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I, as a bisexual person at the time, I kind of also then um, really related to his character wearing suspenders and stockings and high heels. And so when I came to burlesque, I came to it thinking, oh, this is going to be all the things that I'm going to hate, which is, you know, wearing clothes that I'm not going to find to fit my my body because it's so hard to find, you know, underwear to fit a body like mine. When I actually did finally source stuff to fit my body, I realised that this is exactly the right space for me because, you know, this is my inner divine coming out. This is drag um, for me, this overemphasis of femininity. And, uh, you know, it's almost, it is drag. It's like a, it's performing femininity as a fun dress up. Um, and that is how I've been relating to femininity all my life is it's dress up. Um, and so this dressing up and um, and then exposing a body that doesn't fit into people's preconceptions of what um, a feminine body should be is actually really fun because it's just taking the piss out of the idea of femme and I, I adore it. Um so I really did enjoy it. I'm very, I'm a terrible dancer. Unlike um, you, Taylor, I am not a good dancer. I'm always a beat behind the note when I'm practising. I get there in the end after lots of practice. Um, and I really enjoy the, the sheer pleasure of inhabiting your body. Um, and once your clothes are off, you know, it's kind of no one can no one can kind of go oh you're going to be terrible under those clothes because there are no clothes anymore you know this is me this is you just you are what you get and i love that freedom of just going hey this is me and i can be sexy in this body and i can do these moves that are you know normally reserved for coquettish thin women and they will be fun in my body and there will be a provocation in my body um they won't be they won't mean the same thing as they do mean to other people but they certainly will be interesting and different and something to think about so i have enjoyed doing burlesque and particularly i love feather fans i love um the fan dancing <laughs> and they're really heavy so it feels like you're getting a massive workout because they're like giant very pretty weights the crew is really diverse. That's the really interesting thing about this burlesque class is um, it's a really diverse class, not just in body shape, but also we've got quite a few um, people who identify as non-binary, people who identify as trans, and um, also a few people who identify as men who are doing it. Um, so it's it's a really interesting group. A lot of what you said really resonated with me and I think part of what you said about um, burlesque and queerness um, really resonated. I wrote a piece recently on the relationship between burlesque and queerness and how regardless of your gender expression or your, um, your sexuality, burlesque to me is innately queer because it's this idea of 
stripping away the layers to get to what's underneath and then standing firmly in what's underneath. And each time in a burlesque routine, you take off a layer, you toy with it a bit, you kind of play with it, you see how it's going to feel to take it off, what the reaction's going to be. And then when you're ready, when it's not serving you anymore, then you let it go. And then you move on to the next reveal. And it's this unpacking of the identity in the same way that coming into your queerness feels like a removal, but there's always a bit of tension. You're not sure how people are going to react. You're not sure how you're going to react. So you play with it and then you let it go and you're ready. And you're like, I don't need this thing anymore. Whether that be femininity, whether it be your hair or a certain way you dress or whatever it may be that we're using to protect ourselves from just fully coming out. Like you said, coming out as a fat person, coming out as a queer person, all of these different layers. And also the way that you were kind of touching on performance and gender and the way that burlesque allows you to perform femininity. It does offer you this ability to access femininity and step into femininity on your own terms, which is not something that if you've been raised and socialized as a girl, you get to do. You're told, okay, you're in this body, so you have to access femininity in this way. This is how you're going to show up in the world. This is how it's going to look and how it's supposed to feel. And so then when it doesn't look and feel that way, you almost want to reject it because it is so uncomfortable. But then to reclaim it through burlesque or through any form of performance, whether it be drag, burlesque, in your bedroom, singing in the shower, whatever it is, if you get to play with it on your own terms, then it becomes healing because you get to pull from it what you like and what feels good and you get to leave what doesn't feel good. You don't have to commit to it full time. That's the other thing too. It's because it's a performance and it's a character. You don't have to commit to that character for your whole life. You can just commit to it for the period of that song. Um, And that's fun too, to be able to kind of move away from who that character is and be another character in another situation. Absolutely. I also just have been thinking a lot recently, um, You know, it comes back to this conversation we've been having on the podcast recently just about body positivity versus body neutrality and how to be a burlesque performer, to put on the the costumes and to step into drag doesn't necessarily mean that you feel good every day. It's like you said, it's this idea that it's a costume and you can put it on and come out of it. And regardless of how it feels that day, the knowledge that it's like within your power and under your control is think the healing piece yeah absolutely I do have a a very complicated relationship with body positivity as a as a concept for you know several reasons one it's it's very co-opted into capitalism now so Mm -hmm. it's it's um, very much when you hear the words body positivity you think about um, you know brandings and people using it for um, to sell you clothes that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get um so there's there's that and also you know as as I said not everything about living in a fat body is going to be positive like it's there are drawbacks and there are things that I would do without in a heartbeat if I could possibly be offered um a thinner body that would make it easier for me to move around in the world or to um exist in the world I would do that in an you know in a second so it's not it's a complicated thing the idea of body positivity because it's important to see positive representations of people in different bodies. I think that that's a really, really important thing so that other people in different types of bodies see themselves and go, well, I'm okay, I'm normal. There is other people like me out there and we don't get to see that at the moment. Um, but also, you know, it's it's important as, to say there are lots of positive things about being in all sorts of bodies and um, there are also drawbacks to that as well and to kind of be, you know, to kind of go there's swings and roundabouts here. Um, I think it, that's where I'm at with with it all at the moment. So I'm not the cheer, I'm not the cheerleader in terms of, you know, I'm not the fat is beautiful cheerleader, although I do, I do find myself attracted to um, other fat bodies quite frequently as well. 
what I find in body positivity is that it lacks the nuance that is the human experience of being in a body. It's kind of this idea that, you know, if you don't feel good in your body and if you don't love all other bodies all the time, then shame on you, which is marketable, absolutely, because shame is one of the best marketing tactics. Body neutrality allows for a lot more nuance, reminds us that it's okay to not like certain things regardless of what your body looks like, like you said at the beginning of our chat, you know, thin people or people that we see as thin have their own things about their body that we don't know about and we don't have to know. Yeah. And the idea of body neutrality is just like, regardless of how you feel, you know, you can feel great one day and horrible the next and in between, in between. And it all, it doesn't make or break the fact that your body is your body Therefore, it's worthy of being, it's worthy of access to resources, it's worthy of healthcare, it's worthy of love. Absolutely. Mm. I also don't, I, I have this kind of thing about recently, I think because I'm over 50 now, I'm, I'm seeing all these other people way over 50, people in their 70s and 80s, and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming hyper aware of the fact that almost everybody, almost everyone who identifies as a woman in their 70s and 80s is going on diets and um, really kind of um, leaning into diet culture. And I'm finding that kind of distressing because, um, you know, these are people who've, you know, survived a big life and then, you know, in their 80s are kind of going, oh, I'm too fat and I need to I need to lose weight. And it's like you've possibly only got, you know, five to ten years of life left. Are you going to spend that five to ten years denying yourself some pleasures that you may have and making, you know, and going on these diets and and judging yourself at this age? You know, it's like, well, right. what is going on? And so that's really I'm finding that quite distressing to see as I suppose the older generation I'm connected to in my parents you know, my partner's parents' lives all seem to be going through this self-hatred in their 80s. I'm like, oh, dear, it's it's a, it's a thing and it's really affecting older people now. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's something that I really think about all the time when I'm in there, you know, in that world. Chris, in your current experience, are you feeling at all optimistic about, the world view on fatness expanding or shifting or in terms of you know like infrastructure culture are you feeling that shift or yeah I still think it's pretty limited um I don't think that I think that there's a um there's a there's lip service being played paid to um diverse body shapes um and certainly there's a couple of you know, nowadays there's a couple of people that you can look to for um, uh, role models um, for bigger bodies, whereas at one point there just weren't. And then at another point there were only, you know, comedians would be fat and it would be about laughing at their bodies. Um, and now there are more people in um, different kind of role model positions that you can look to. So it is shifting slowly, I suppose, because if you have role models, you suddenly can see other possibilities. But I think that there's still a massive um, backlash against it because the diet industry is still thriving, despite Jenny Craig going under recently. Um, you know, it, that was more because Noom has taken over. Um and they've changed the style of um, of diet culture rather than diet culture itself. It's still a massive thing. It's still a massive consumer um, world where, you know, still two-thirds of every chemist shop is taken up by diet products and diet displays. So it's not changing. And I don't I don't see any changes to the medical world. Um accommodating larger bodies I really just can't that they're not they're still not making blood pressure cuffs in my size you know regardless of the people calling for it so there's there aren't any changes happening at that level so maybe there's a slow shift because we've got more role models but it's not making a massive impact. I work part-time at a maternity clinic and there are a few folks who come in who are just in larger bodies and 
it's regulation or standard practice that you check your blood pressure when you come in if you're pregnant for a visit and some people are just like that's just not going to fit on my arm and we just don't have a larger cuff because somehow we like can't get one you know if you take a step back from that it's like oh you are like literally saying that these people are unworthy of having equal access to information about their bodies Chris, I'd love to ask, what do you hope people take away from our chat today, your book, and just generally your current blooming in the world? I, I really would love people to um, read the book or intersect with the work and realise that to lean into the things that scare you about yourself are actually the it that's the way through that's the way to kind of have a better relationship with the self it's it's sometimes so hard to um confront things that you feel ashamed about in your own body but to actually talk about them openly and to be honest about them take some of their power away from them and I feel like, I mean, the book is populated with a whole bunch of monsters that I've pulled out of the carnival of my own fears of my brain. And I feel like putting those monsters on the page is the thing that has saved me from feeling monstrous in myself. Once it's out of the body, it's it can't hurt you anymore. So I feel like that's what I want people to realise is that to be open and honest and have these conversations openly might be scary up front, but after we start having those conversations, it makes it so much easier to accept yourself and to live in your body. Mm. Wow. Thank you so much for that reminder. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing just about your journey, your work, yourself. This has been such a beautiful conversation. Thank you. It's been yeah. really fun to chat with you. The last question I like to ask people is what you're reading at the moment. If you have any book recommendations for our listeners. I'm actually really enjoying, I'm coming late to the party because everyone told me to read this year, a year ago, um, a book called Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. Um, and I'm really, really enjoying it. It's so much fun. Um, it's kind of, it's wickedly fun, um, but also about really interesting things. And um, I'm just really enjoying being in the world of these trans women, one of them who's detransitioned and who is going to be a father um, and instead of a mother, which she thought she'd always be. Uh, and so it's it's really interesting to kind of look at at their world and the issues they're going from in quite a fun, funny way. Mm, yeah, I've heard about that book as well a couple times from friends. It's on my list. It sounds wonderful. It's really fun. Yeah. Hmm. What about you, Emma? Uh, the same book that we talked about, You Are the One You've Been Waiting For, Applying Internal Family Systems to Intimate Relationships. Wonderful. Yeah, it's great. What about you, Taylor? I'm rereading The Bell Jar, Sylvia Plath. Cause mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. I That book is so interesting because there's so many little one-liners that are just so juicy. Oh, yeah. So well, where Chris, can people find you? Yeah. Where can people connect with you? Yeah, um, I've got a website. Um, it's still under um, chrissyneen.com. The book is in bookshops at the moment, um, in Australia at least, um, not in the US yet or in the UK yet, but I think that you can buy online versions. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's Fat Girl Dancing and it's in the bookshops now. Buy it. Read it. Wow. Soak it in. Yeah, <laughs> so I can't wait to get into it. Thank you so much for joining us and for yes. sharing. Thank you. So that was the wonderful being that is Chris. We're just so overjoyed to have had them 
on the pod and be able to just like talk to them and hear what they had to say. Yeah, um, some seriously underspoken about shit. Just talking mm-hmm. about like fatness in the world and all the different intersection and, and intersections and layers involved and in that. Yeah, talking about bodies in a way that isn't so like marketing based. I feel like we mm. ha- we see these conversations happening a lot for the purpose of marketing. Like brands will be like, oh, we're size inclusive. It's like promotional for their product and things like that. But rarely do we get to just kind of flesh out the reality of living everyday life in different bodies. Um, and that can apply to fat bodies it can also apply to you know racialized bodies trans bodies like just the daily lived experience of going through the world in the body that you're in now we're gonna pull tarot about it (laughs) okay we have pulled the three of pentacles Ooh. so here's what we got The themes are recognition, collaboration, capability, and common goals. My integrity earns me reward and recognition. Instantly thinking of Chris being in their fucking integrity in writing this book and sharing their story and gaining reward and recognition for the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're making great progress and the work you're doing now, if done with commitment and integrity, will feed your soul. You're creating something you may achieve recognition for, but that's not the point. The reward is the work itself, done with like-minded people in the spirit of cooperation. When it's satisfying to do something you love, either in your career or personal life, you'll find that even the most mundane things become beautiful. Mm. Uh, thinking yeah. about how Chris mentioned that they had this book kind of like in their files for so long and whenever they would think of something relating to the subject of like the fat experience they'd put it in their file called the fat book right but they never were in a place to actually write the book because it was such an emotional process and so like personal and intimate and vulnerable and scary yeah building up the courage to be able to share it yeah but then ultimately they said once they put it out they're like the reward is that I've gotten to this place now by putting this out there that Mm -hmm. I'm like more able to claim my experience like the creation of something from that like authentic truth place always allows you to kind of stand more firmly in it and just like claim that shit and it's the piece about integrity is really interesting i always have found that word i feel like integrity takes a lot of courage but also like time to build and i'm just thinking about chris and how they're like doing this process now like this you know this has taken them like years of life to understand and write about and share and I feel like there's a lot of integrity when you take your time with something and really Mm -hmm. feel like getting to know it and and you feel ready and are really there with the process no matter how long it takes you know we're really quick to be like okay do something release it get the reward get the high allowing something to take you like years of time to sort through and understand and then share. And you may never feel ready. Like, I don't know that Chris ever said that they were like actually ready. Like mm-hmm. that's hard to feel, but I just feel like there's a lot of integrity involved in their work because of the time that they've given themselves. Mm-hmm much urgency I feel a lot of the time in the world and we feel Mm -hmm. like we have to churn out thing after thing after thing but Mm -hmm. often the things that are the most meaningful are things that yeah we like take the time with to sit with and massage through Mm -hmm. to find it and like get to know yeah get to know it as like yes your creation but also like something kind of separate 
from you with its own life and own path, mm. which is kind of what they were talking about. Like now that the book's out, it's kind of like it's going to take on its own life. It has its own amount of wisdom and lived experience because it's taken so many years. It has its own sense of integrity that's like separate from them, which is kind of cool. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it really becomes like a soul or like has a spirit of its own mm-hmm. when you let it. But you have to like allow that process to take place. Oh my God, it's literally making me think of like sourdough or like kombucha. How you have to like Ooh. let that sit, let that shit sit. And then it yeah. like comes to life and like bubbles. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out. <laughs> our next episode we're just gonna like chat the two of us so. yeah we're doing a taylor and emma special Stay long overdue it's been a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we love you and we're blooming away day, day by day, day. <laughs>